You're listening to After the Encore, the music podcast that explores what happens after the music fades, what happens after the encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and this is Volume 1, The Stars at Night, Track 6, with Todd Pipes of Deep Blue Something. No common ground to start from, and we're falling apart. You'll say... Come between us Our lives have come between us Still I know you just don't care And I said what about Breakfast at Tiffany She said I You're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I'm here with the lead singer of Deep Blue Something, Mr. Todd Pipes. Todd, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. But I have to clarify. Yes. I'm one of the lead singers. Oh, there it is. This band <laughs> does not have a lead singer. Well, let me let me quantify this <laughs> statement and talk about uh, one of the members of Deep Blue Something. Yeah, Todd one of Pipes. the guys who gets stuck singing lead right. vocals from time to time but doesn't really want right. to. The face of that really intense music video, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Oh, God. Sure. Are you the one riding the white horse? No, that's Toby. Okay, there we go. So which I think was really cool, actually. It it was. It was one of those things that when you're dreaming it up and you're talking to the director and he's going, "That's a great idea," and everybody looks around and goes, "Seriously, we're going to do this?" (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We'll definitely get in there. But one place that I want to start with you is, what does music mean to you? Hmm. Um. I don't know. It's everything in abstraction. It's it's to me, you know, doing anything symbolically is what separates humans. Right. You know, like my my dog is not thinking. Well, my dog's my cat <laughs> is not thinking in abstract symbolic terms. It's sure. not gonna it's not gonna do something that represents something else. So anything we right. do that's artistic that symbolizes something or that we can somehow equate with our actual world the symbolic realm, that's what makes us human. Now, it's weird. We have figured out a way to manipulate sound waves right. in, in ways that are pleasing to us. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because no matter what we do, again, the dog and cat, they don't care. Right. Like, we're just amazed. Yeah. All the other animals are like, I don't know. What are they doing? <laughs> They're making a racket. It right. makes my ears hurt, so I'm howling. <laughs> right. But... They're just unimpressed, right? So that's why I'm so fascinated with music. Right. Because in technical terms, it's completely worthless. Yeah. But in human terms, it's everything. Right. So, yeah. It's it's interesting how it has such power. Right. And to your point, in technical terms, it's not going to matter from this or that. It's not... It's not... What we need to survive in the day. It's right. not a well, basic. Well, I don't know about that. 
Well, sure. Well, I was, I, I think I was it's more like thing, eat, sleep, and, right. and drink water. Kind but of I thing. think to keep us from going crazy and killing each other, which sure. I do think is human nature. Sure. I think we are pre-programmed for violence and conflict. Right. It's the music and the artistic or the, the symbolic rendering of other things that keeps us occupied sure. and keeps us from going, well, there's nothing else to do. Let's go attack the other I village. I mean, there's a reason why they say idle hands are the devil's plaything. Yes. You know? you know. But at the same time, it's the thematic music that gets your tribe hyped up right. to go to the next village. Right. So it works in that way, too. <laughs> right. It I has such... No, you're it right. It keeps it has us from power. killing and yet enhances the process. Right. It has the power to divide yeah. or... Uh, well, I was going to say divide or provide, but not quite. Divide or bring together. Really. Yeah. And and I think it, it is so fascinating to, it can allow us to equate our emotions. Yep. It can allow us to be an outlet when we need, if we are the creator of music, mm-hmm. to have an outlet to have a healthy process for working through emotions. Oh, sure. And if we're the... Uh, consumer so to speak then it also allows us a space with which we can work through our emotions or you know then get hyped or whatever the case may be and i think yeah. it to your point it is so fascinating that we've not only learned how to to manipulate it in a way but we're constantly finding new ways with which to have something to say yeah about music oh and and the way the different types of music that you find yourself identifying with also right. kind of creates the subtribe that you belong to. Right. Like I'm fascinated by the divisions that music creates. Everybody talks about, oh, music brings everyone. No, I do not think that it does. <laughs> I think that music divides people. It helps sure. you sub-identify with who you are. Sure. You know, yes, I listen to this type of music. Therefore, there's a fairly decent chance that you probably dress a way that is in sympathy mm. with that musical form. Sure. Some people don't. I right. always tried to actually do the opposite. Right. I just dressed however, but I listened to this type of music, you know, but in the conversation you find, oh, this person likes this too. They're part of my sub tribe. Right. You know. Yeah. You, you know, yeah, so, no, absolutely. so again, it's, it's the divisions that music creates that f- fascinate me. Yeah. You know, that you listen to this and some people are just appalled. Right. Like, oh, oh dear. <laughs> How can you? Right. Yeah. And and we all do it. I mean, yep. I am the worst at it. I judge people with severe hatred because yep. of some of the things they listen to. Right. Well, not not hatred. It's really disappointment, which <laughs> is so far worse. It is. When you're truly yes. disappointed yes. in the psyche of someone else because of what they listen to. Right. Right. And then other times you're so pleasantly amazed and surprised. Right. And you're like, wow, you've heard that record? And they go... Oh my gosh! Yeah, no, right. Like, and then, no, it, did it change? Yes, it changed my life. Right. Like, okay, <laughs> we're on the same team. Here. Right. If anything goes down, you and I are together. Right. Exactly. I don't know about these other idiots at this party, <laughs> but we're together. Right. I love it. There was. Uh, it's so interesting because it's like, like you said, it, even amongst ourselves. I think. I mean, my wife and I have similar and very different musical tastes, mm-hmm. and there'll be times where. You know, I'll, I will put on a certain playlist and she'll go, oh, this is a great playlist. Another time where she will, and I quote, say, what is this crap? Yeah. And I'm like, this is amazing. She'll put something on and I'll say the same thing. And, and we're it's all in good fun. But I think, you know, it, it comes back to a point of all art is subjective. And, and I think a lot of times we equate certain qualities to one versus the other. But but yeah, it does it does allow people to identify with kind of where they fit in the world, mm-hmm. you know, and find people that 
theoretically are like-minded with them in that pursuit sure. of whatever it may be. Yeah. But this has been a great kind of introduction and conversation, but I want to know, let's kind of start with when did you really first get into music? It was a pretty young age. Oh, right? super young. Like second like or third grade? Second grade is when, you know, I heard, I heard of Kiss on oh, the right. school bus. That was my thing. Yeah. And I was like, what is going on here? Because I, I remember, I'm at that weird age that I remember, I have musical memories of the very early 70s. Mm-hmm. Like I remember back in those days, your parents would go to somewhere like my mom. I, I remember this day and she was either going to the bank or paying the water bill or something. But as parents did at the time, left me in the car right. with the radio on. Right. And I remembered when she was in there, I heard light my fire on the radio. Oh. And I am telling you, I was I was in, on a different planet. <laughs> I could not believe it. When she came back to the car, I tried to describe to her, because my parents listened to a lot of classical music mm-hmm. and a lot of kind of folk type music. Sure. And Light My Fire merges the two of those, yes. really. It has Such that, what song. we would consider a leap motif. That oh. and, and, I, and I was like... If, and I was trying to describe it to my mother because I knew if she heard it, she would identify with that part too. Right. You know, and then, which is very folk music. Yep. It's, you know, D-A-G or whatever. Right. Come on, baby, light my fire. Yep. It's so simple. Yeah. And yet the classical stuff's going on. And I'm telling you, I will never forget it. I had, we lived at the time very close to NASA. And it was, you know, we had just gotten back from the moon, all this stuff. And this was very much a part of my life. Mm -hmm. I thought everyone lived, uh, we lived by the beach and we lived right by NASA. And I actually, in that car, had an astronaut figurine in my hand. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, everything was sepia toned, like everything was in the 70s. And I'm sure I had on a stripy shirt and I heard the doors on the radio and I could not believe it. And so from that time forward, and I was very, very young, I was probably three or four, um, and I was fascinated by music. I paid more attention to it. Sure. Because my, it, it sparked something. Because my you. parents listened to so much. It was sure. so much a part of who they were. They were always singing or doing this kind of thing. And they listened to some pretty cool music. Yeah. And I understood, oh, there's something about the Carpenter's record that sounds really interesting. Sure. Yeah. Like how, why do their voices sound that way? Right. You know? Yeah. I couldn't conceive of multi-tracking or all the amazing, because the Carpenters were doing some fairly amazing things in the studio. They were pretty innovative with a lot of their work. Yeah. Well, it was everything that was kind of in a lot of that California scene. So a lot of the same people that worked on the Beach Boys stuff were doing the Carpenters too. A lot of the same session guys. And then again, we lived by the beach and it was like Herb Alpert and his Tijuana Brass were everywhere, you know, ba-bum-bum. Everywhere, yeah, right. It was yeah. just that sound in the in the Beach Boys. I heard that everywhere. Yeah. So it wasn't just the songs; it was the way they sounded, and there was something that everything made sense in my life at that young age. Right. Because it was very sunny. It was very beachy. Right. It was very California, and everything I saw on TV, which was the California thing in my mind was what I was living there on the, sure. on the Texas shoreline, right, right, you know, right. on the beach. Yeah. And so it was like, the world is so amazing. Yeah. And then every, you know, things began to change after that, but that was the beginning of the musical thing. 
and then yeah, the kiss thing. Yeah. Which was so fantastic and terrifying and amazing right. and so indicative of America in the 70s. Yeah. It was like, okay, we've got Alice Cooper. We've got the New York Dolls, but that's not enough. Right. Right? <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Yes, yes, Alice yes, Cooper and the yes. New York Dolls, when you look at them, you're like, I bet people are going, this is some freaky stuff. Right. And Kiss <laughs> literally said, no. We're going to put it times 10. Right. We're going to combine it with all this awesomeness that Evil Knievel is doing, where there's going to be fire <laughs> and platforms that raise. Yes. And it was so perfectly 70s America, which I think set the America in 1974 was the pinnacle of all civilization. <laughs> we never transcended it. Um, yeah. And so Kiss was perfect for that. Yeah. And, and, everything that followed after it. But yeah, that's what I was just like, oh my God, what do I have to do? To right. g- I'm going to get in this band. And you've got it. You, you're also like speaking from a kiss standpoint, it's now become, it's not just the music. It's, it's the whole package. It's what right? they represented at the time. Right. I wish they had stopped. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm yeah. glad that somebody in the band didn't die. Yeah. You know, right. But if someone in the band had died in 78, the world would revere them as the second coming. Yeah. They, they, I think that they would be up there with the Beatles. Yeah. Not because of their musical output as much, but because of what they represented. Yes. But like so many bands, they did kind of push it past their prime. Yeah. I, it was great that they came back and kind of put the makeup back on, did right. it again, but then they should have stopped. Sure. But yeah, it's what they represented. And again, it was the... It was the musical equivalent of Evil Knievel, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just absolutely. Perfect. It was absolutely. so insane and so. Te- I, I just no wonder preachers were standing on the street corners <laughs> and yelling and saying rock and roll is stealing right. our children's souls. <laughs> right. It's like, yeah, that was fairly outrageous. Yeah. That was so much more than Alice Cooper. And it was. I mean, and and this is kind of the first time that people are seeing this being exposed to this type of spectacle and yeah, so yeah cuz it went from 0 to to 1000 yeah. there was no him. there was no like um what's the thing like uh put a you know try and put a frog in boiling water it'll hop out and if you put it in there and slowly turn on then it'll stay in yeah right this wasn't a slowly it was a boiling was, water and people were jumping right. out yeah they were shooting flames when yeah. they were playing clubs and yeah. skating rinks and <laughs> yeah. stuff and you know elevating the drum riser right. with two guys with chains behind the right. curtain <laughs> i mean but they were doing it yeah and no one else was doing it. And everyone after that even zeppelin and those other bands came back around and said oh okay we might need to get some smoke. Right. Lasers would be cool. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should put a backdrop or let's have a sign with our name on it. That's how novel. But think right. about, you didn't see that until no. them. No. And then you went, oh, not only do they have a name for their band, they have an identifiable logo. Yes. Think about how profound that was. Marketing, branding. Yeah. All I mean, that. they stole the SS from the Nazis. Don't pay attention to that. Right. But let's, uh, let's glaze over. Yeah. Just... <laughs> How did they get away with that? A lot of people don't don't know. know. They're like, wow, that SS, well, that's really, yeah, it's the Nazi. It's interesting looking. It's literally the Nazi SS, and then they figured out, well, let's make an I that works and a K that works, and there's our logo. (laughs) Let's not think too hard about that. (laughs) hmm, We're just a few years past World War II. You know, maybe it's okay. (laughs) I mean, there's two Jewish guys in the band. They seem to be cool with it. Right, right. And it does look interesting right right but yeah that's a nazi ss just stuck at the end of the <laughs> logo there oh but, man yeah so, so after after kiss and knowing like i want to pay attention more to music i want this to be a part of it when did you start actively 
participating in it, I guess, like musical instrument singing, um, that kind of stuff. It took a long time and a lot of conniving and maneuvering okay. to convince my parents to get me a guitar. Okay. Because they didn't want me to, to pursue that. Right. Okay. So at first, I had kind of borrowed a friend's toy guitar. Okay. Which I had sort of figured out, hey, these strings here will stay in tune. Not all six of them, right. but these four will stay in tune. Right. And I, you know, I'm kind of working this out. It had plastic frets with that, which I just played down to where it was flat. <laughs> and then um, in sixth grade, they got me an acoustic guitar. Okay. I wanted an electric. My friend Robbie had an electric. And I knew, but they knew, well, you can't join a band with an acoustic guitar. I think this will be safe. Right. <laughs> Very strategic. Yeah. It was a gremlin and we bought it at Sears and I'll never forget <laughs> it. Um, yeah. And, and so I started kind of then I was attracted to the bass lines. Mm. And so I started for whatever reason, I decided, I decided to start with my bass education on this album called Jeff Lorber Fusion. So this is jazz. I, I go from never messing with anything bass related to straight to learning jazz fusion. <laughs> and this, and it's a great record. But looking back, I was like, what was I thinking? Right. I was in fifth grade and I'm there listening. I got my headphones on and I'm picking out bass lines to, to a fusion album. And then I went straight because my parents wouldn't let me have Kiss records. That's oh, the right. whole thing. Sure, 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 now, sure. sure. One of my friends had gotten Kiss Alive 2. Okay. Yep. And it, he left it in the back of his car, and one of the... It was a double album, and mm -hmm. one of the records warped. Oh, okay, it was all wavering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the other because record was okay. Yeah. And so he gave me that, because his parents were like, oh, dang, sorry, we didn't mean to do that. So they bought him another copy of Alive 2, oh. and he gave me the busted copy. Yeah, so I with had, the one record that with worked. With the one record that worked. Right. And then somehow or other, I kind of convinced them to buy me Kiss Alive, you know, the first one, Kiss Alive. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that was, this is amazing. Yeah. You know, I felt kind of subversive, you know, because they yeah. didn't listen to it, but they let right. me have it. Right. And so I kind of start working from there. And then... Are you trying to play along with some of the songs? Playing along. I'm very careful, though, to not have the kiss very loud. Mm. I know I can get away with the jazz fusion because there's no words. Right. It's just crazy... Fusion dude, <laughs> yeah, Wizard <laughs> Island and all this crazy fusiony stuff. Right, and then uh, in seventh grade, <laughs> first let me backtrack. I have this really weird attraction for going into abandoned buildings or th places where I should not be. Sure, I cannot stay out of them. So across the street and down two houses was this house, okay? And we never saw anybody going in or out of the house. And so, of course, I got to see what the deal is. So we kind of start spying. We're kind of looking around. We do figure out, okay, someone does live here. We shouldn't go in. But I could see through the garage window that there was a drum set in there. Okay? And I'm like, hmm. There's, I know there's no kids here. Right. I, maybe a person lives alone. I don't know. So I think I got my dad to put a note in their mailbox to see, hey, do you want to get rid of the drum set? Right. That there's no way that we should know that you have, but right. we know that you've got a drum set <laughs> right. in your garage. Right. And so they give us, the, I mean, for like $20 or something, 
and it's an old Ludwig drum set. Now, I goofed around on it a little bit, but my friend Eric already played the drums mm-hmm. in our imaginary band that we started in second of grade. Of course. <laughs> but he was a real legit drummer, and my okay. friend Robbie had an electric guitar, but I knew that this could be a... Um, a bartering tool of some kind. Right. I had this thing in my possession and maybe I could do. So then I figure out my brother, Toby, his friend, Pat, his dad was a jazz bassist. Okay. And he was also a lawyer. And part of the payment for some law services, this guy had given him an electric bass. Oh. But his dad never played the electric bass. He was an upright guy. Okay. And so this bass spent all of its time under the bed. Just like, and so I yeah. knew Pat wanted to play the drums, and so we arranged a trade. Uh, Gave Pat the drum set for the electric bass that his dad never played, and, and, and I still have this bass to, the, to really? this day. I got the bass on a Saturday, and I went to my first band practice on a Wednesday. Oh, and as awesome. God is my witness, when I held it in my hands, I already knew how to play it. Oh. I, I, there was no learning it. I just knew it. That's it was fascinating. magical. <laughs> it was like sword in the stone <laughs> right. thing. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. I know that somehow or other I had goofed around on that acoustic guitar Enough a little bit, like but it's it, not but the same. Sure. No. I felt at one with this bass. Well, yeah. It's different between like, okay, let me try and like figure out and then like holding it and just instantly like, it's like a putting your foot into a shoe that fits yes. perfectly. It was, it was everything. Yeah. It was your glass slipper. Yes, <laughs> for sure. And it, it remains so. I can play lots of instruments, yeah. but when I see pictures, because we have like a song or two in, in the Deep Blue Something set where we kind of change instruments, sure. you know, and so I end up playing guitar. And when I look at pictures of me with a guitar in my hand, I look so bizarre. <laughs> you can tell that it's not my natural thing. Yeah. My hands feel weird. Mm-hmm. My arm feels weird. But but a bass, I'm comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's it's totally different. That is yeah. fascinating. Well, talk talk me through, now that you've got the bass and you're doing the band practice, what were uh-huh. some of those first kind of early gigs for the Untitled Todd Pipes Project? Is uh, what I'm going to call them. We... <laughs> We played the only thing we could do as seventh graders, which was the junior high talent show. Right. <laughs> in the Mance Park Auditorium in Huntsville, Texas. <laughs> and so we we very shakily went to our tryout. <laughs> we even tried to not do it because we were so nervous. And my mom sure. said, no, you've been practicing in our living room for months. You Something's going to come out of this. Get in there and do it. <laughs> yes, ma'am. And so we very nervously sang Sweet Home Alabama in our tryout. And, of course, they let us in. I was like, right. Looking back, it's like, why did you make us try out? You just pretty much let everybody who tried out uh, in. Excuse me, Mr. McFly. I'm afraid you're just too darn loud. Yeah. Well, so. <laughs> that didn't happen. They might as well have. <laughs> so we played that in the trap, but we decided, no, we're going to play a different song in the actual town. Oh, show. a swerve. And so we played in seventh grade, we played And the Cradle Will Rock by Van Halen. Oh, which was so oh. funny. And and again, going back to me not having any value for lead singers, right. I got stuck singing as well as playing bass. <laughs> I was like, oh, dear God. <laughs> but we did it, and it was super exciting, and I couldn't believe it. And the next year we played You Really Got Me. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then we also backed up a girl. We I think we played open arms and she's saying you know we, we got to sure. do a couple of because yeah. we were eighth graders right I mean, look out you're running the school 
Yeah. So we played You Really Got Me, and then we did kind of a transition type thing. Oh, no, when they were calling all the acts out there to kind of take a bow, we played the musical part to LaGrange. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just about a whorehouse. Don't worry about it. So it's not think too hard. There's no singing, but, <laughs> right. you know. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, so we played that, and then we played Open Arms. Yeah. And then... You know, that was about the extent of what we could do. Right. So we geared up to do to do that again in high school, but we had decided, and I had told everybody, we've got to find a singer. I don't want to be the singer. Sure. And so we found a guy who was a couple of years older than us, and uh, we played played the talent show. We played this thing called the Macho Man Contest. <laughs> you know, so they had some, you know, had us as kind of entertainment. Sure. And then the next year... It's kind of like a fundraiser for the senior class. We did a, a full concert. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. And then everybody in the band kind of started getting in trouble for weird things. My parents <laughs> made me quit. Oh, no. Yeah, which was probably a good move <laughs> on their part. Um, but yeah, and so then everything just kind of froze yeah. for a while until my brother got into high school, and then we kind of goofed around. Sure. And, yeah. Was your brother always as musically inclined as you? Or was it more? He was definitely musically inclined because he's an incredibly musical person. Right. But he didn't really catch the whole, I want to be in a band and do this until later when we we started. And it was was an electronic project at the time. And we played a few times. And I remember him telling me, I get it now. Mm. I am playing a lot. Like, that's really cool like that's an amazing sensation playing live in front of people feeding off the energy yeah and 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 doing it and that and that really weird feeling of things can go wrong oh sure you know yeah it's a little bit of like the 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 risk like that's part of what makes it exciting yeah because it can go great or because there are there are it's it's not like like we had grown up playing sports and stuff and you get nervous before a game but it's that okay. I got to make sure that I'm going to do well or whatever. Right. But yeah. but but in a band, when there's technical things mm-hmm. and there's things that can go horribly wrong, right? You know, that adds this weird little thing to it. And it, again, we were doing electronic music at the time, and you have all these things kind of linked together because this is pre-computer yeah, music, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and things can just go nuts. Yeah. And so that was this weird little spark, and he was like, "Oh, that's very cool," you know. Yeah. And so then it was after that. That we, you know, he he had transferred up to North Texas, and then I went up there for graduate school. Like it. Well, we'll be right back with more after the encore. You're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I'm here with Todd Pipes. And now we're going to take a take a look and a journey into what probably most people are familiar associating you with, and that is Deep Blue Something. So walk me through, Toby's at UNT. Yeah. You're there for grad school. Yeah. And, and so walk me through the origins of Deep Blue Something, and then we'll kind of go from there. Okay, so our whole problem with any band that we had started. And again, at that time we were very focused on electronic music. Right. Um, is that, well, what do you do with it? You sure. Know, you can, we, we had made demos and sent them to record companies and that kind of thing. But, but that was it. We, it, it was like we were on an Island 
Um, I didn't want to be one of those people that went out to L.A. to make it. Right. Because I knew people that had tried that, and they came back much <laughs> the worse for wear. And, you know, and it's it's hard, too, and not even to cut you off, but it, it's so hard because I think there is... It's difficult to quantify success sometimes. And I think sure. a lot of times in the search for success, you lose what is most vital to you as a person or as an artist. Right. And, and people go out there and think, well, I've got this much money mm-hmm. and I've got to make it in this amount of time. Right. And you're like, well, what does that mean? Right. Does that mean that you're just making enough to stay there? Right. Because that's difficult too. And it, you know, yeah. and so that was our whole problem is we didn't know what to do. Okay. So... When he transferred to North Texas, I had one more semester at Sam Houston, and and he decided to change his major, he and a friend of his, which they didn't have at Sam Houston, so he goes up to UNT, and he calls and is like, dude, there are, there's bands everywhere here. Right. And I was going, really? He said, look, because Houston had nothing. I mean, there were some venues... But there was no music scene. Yeah. I know Houston people will disagree, but there just wasn't. <laughs> yeah. And this um, is n- early 90s? Th- no, this... this Mid-90s? Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. It would have been early, like, like 90. 90 no, this is 90, oh, okay. 91. 90, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, because I graduated from Sam Houston in 90. Okay. And then so I went up there in, in January 91. Okay. Um, and so... And, and he was like, no, I'm not exaggerating. Like, there's a there's a venue... There's like three venues per block, and there's three bands per night, and there's every single night of the week. He's like, get up here. We, we just, you you know, mom wants you to go to graduate school. Right. You don't know what you want to do anyway. Go to graduate school. Get up here. Yeah. And I, mean, and I thought he was exaggerating a bit. Sure. But what I and, and he wasn't talking about Dallas. He was just talking about Denton at yeah. the time. And I get up there, and I was just going, dear God, he's not joking. Like, they had... Music venues everywhere. There was the library, and then there was the main event one, and main event two, and then there was this weird kind of pizza place that had live mm-hmm. bands, exactly and Rick's, yep. and all this, I'm sure I'm leaving other ones out, um, and all these random places, and there are bands everywhere, and he was right. Three bands per night, at least, every single night of the week, yep. in every venue. And I think it's it's... It's so surprising. So Denton is still like that, and and still, and I think Dallas and Fort Worth and other places have kind of caught up to the in the in the area. But mm-hmm. Denton's still like that, and I think a lot of what a lot of people don't realize is I think we we meaning you know people that live in Texas or society forget how much Denton is kind of that college town in that mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of supply and demand for certain things, sure. and bands and art and that kind of stuff is in high demand there, and so. And, and, and at the time, it was sort of the hip thing to do to go watch live music. Yes. Which was yes. helped greatly. And I think people underestimate the influence of that movie that was, remember uh, the Cameron Crowe movie called Singles? Yes. And yes. It, was, it was based yes. in Seattle. But what all the people in the movie do repeatedly is go see live bands. Right. And so this was something that was kind of happening. But at the same time, when that movie came out, well, that's what young people did. Yep. It, dance clubs were dead at that time. Yeah. It was, well, let's go see some live music. Yeah. Right? Yep. And so we were in the right place at the right time for a lot of what was going on because it doesn't exist like that anymore. There's no way there are multiple bands in Dallas that are drawing a thousand plus per night. Right. It's not happening. No. Um, 
and so we were incredibly fortunate with that. And but the main thing is we could see an outlet of some kind. Right. And that first night we I came up to visit. Um. We we actually went to Deep Ellum, went to Clearview, and some band was playing. I was like, wow, okay, so there's lots of venues here too. Right. And I, I was just like, this is really cool. So I moved up um, in January to start, and we were just kind of looking around because we were still thinking along the terms of electronic music, you know, because it's just what we had a passion for. And Toby was, you know, a keyboard. He was not a guitar player at the time. And I wasn't either. I was a bass player. <laughs> I knew a couple of chords on yeah. the guitar, but my brain was only, it, I was just playing the bass. Right. And so I was writing songs from that. It was very ca- kind of cabaret Voltaire. Yeah, yeah, He had yeah. a bass, but there were synths, and it was real edgy, you know, not edgy. It was very angular is what it was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a good word. It, for yeah, it. Yeah, 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 it was, because yeah. we would show people, and then we're like, dude, check it out. And people were like, oh. Man, I don't, <laughs> I don't understand. More power what, to you, but I don't get yeah, it. I do not get it <laughs> at all. Um, but when we when I first went up there and we went out to Deep Ellum, and we saw um, the Spin and Pop Poppins at the main bar, and I remember thinking how astounding it was because there's two you know two bands on the bill, and they were playing all original music, and there were 300 plus people there. And I remember thinking, if I could just get to this level, I will feel like I've at least done something. And I yeah. was so amazed. And I had no idea how to do any of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, how do you get here? And all these bands had promo pictures. Oh, you know, like sure. the 8x10? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, how do, how, wh- what do you go to do that? Right. And, like, we, <laughs> Where's the promo guy? You, okay, so you want to know a true thing. Yeah. We were selling out places before we ever had a promo picture. That's how naive and ignorant we were about everything. And also, because I remember, because Ed from Rick's was like, guys, you've got to get me a promo picture. It helps with advertising. I can put it, see all the pictures here in the venue. You probably need one up here so people can, you know, identify. I'm like, hey, man, I, I, I don't know how to do that. He was like, Really? I said, I'm not joking, dude. Like, we don't know anything. Right. We didn't have a demo tape. We had nothing. And we were packing places. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so he's like, well, you just call a photographer and you, you know, they'll take pictures of you and you pick a good one. I was like, how much do you think that costs? He's like, it's probably a couple hundred bucks, you know, for a like photography a session. One, yeah. yeah. I was like, wow. I said, how many pictures you get with that? He said, no, no, no. Then you take it somewhere and they, they'll put the logo on there and then right. in, in, it's like a dollar per thing. Yeah. I said, oh, dude. Like, how many do you think we need? He was like, probably like 300 of them. You got to, you, <laughs> you know, when you're out, sending yeah. out tapes, yeah. which you do not have. Right. <laughs> he was like, I just, I don't <laughs> understand. I've never seen a band like this. Like, <laughs> it's like your, and, your but entire to us, media kit. It, it yeah. might as well have been a million dollars. Sure. Because it was going to cost us four or five hundred bucks to make this happen. Yeah. And I was like, dude, I, you know, we're having to buy guitar strings one string at a time. Oh, wow. Like if somebody broke a string, you would go to the guitar store and you would say, I need a B string. What gauge? I don't know what gauge. I just need a B string. And they would... You know, it's so interesting to me how how naive y'all were, and and how we it, could, we it, could, it's almost like you had success in spite of in spite of not knowing things. Whereas a lot of people well, like okay, I didn't it, know all it this just stuff. amazed me. I was like, 
where did all these guys get this gear? Because everybody sure. had amazing gear. Right. And the the thing was, we could not tell our we couldn't tell our parents we even had a band. Oh, okay. Because they okay. would have freaked. Right. Okay. So we're because then they're thinking like you're going to give up school. You're, you're not up there. Grad school, you're blah, blah, blah. away from us. We can't monitor what you're doing. You're right. going to get into this you're music waste thing. Your life. Yeah. Where is that going to lead? So we could yeah. not do that. And so you know, I've got my bass guitar. Yeah. You know. Um, I've got this one amp that is this I had. the same bass guitar that you got? Uh, I still had that one, but I had gotten a, a okay. better one when I was a sophomore. Sure, gotcha. So okay. I got that. I've got my my trainer TS twenty five B bass amplifier, yeah. which I'd had since I was in eighth grade. <laughs> um, that's all I've got. Yeah. We've decided at this point to to become a guitar band. Okay. So we found these two Squire Fender Squire twos, the Korean yeah, ones, yeah, yeah. which actually turned out to be really good guitars. Uh, that this is one of them actually. okay yeah still have it nice it's amazing nice um and we got them for like a hundred bucks a piece they were upstairs at glenn's in the other pawn shop oh yeah yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> so toby we had to get an amplifier for yeah. a while he was renting them from McBride, oh he would God. go in, and I forget how much he would pay, but but we could afford if we if we were going to get X amount of dollars for a show. Yeah. Well, then we knew we could rent an amp for twenty bucks a night, but we could not pay all at one four hundred dollars sure, 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 all sure. at one time. Okay, that makes sense. And yeah, so yeah. it got to a point that McBride's would just set the amplifier out on the back steps. You know, because he yeah. was doing it all the time. Yeah. And they're like, dude, why don't you just buy it? We're like, dude, you do not understand. We're getting money like daily, basically, or weekly. Yeah, we're, we we're, we're having to put this together here. Right. You know, we've got to rent a place to practice. Yeah. We've got nothing. Yeah. And, uh, and so eventually he bought an amplifier, <laughs> a Yamaha 410, <laughs> which would overheat. He got it for nothing. I mean, sure. it was super cheap at a pawn shop, um, but it would overheat and shut off. Oh, <laughs> like three quarters of the way through the show, that amp's going down, but we got it cheap and it's better, you know. Yeah. And so w miraculously, we found a second one, the exact same amp, got it for like fifty dollars. Yeah. Because it had the same issue. Oh. So Toby so this is would a take. Issue with he this would thing. take both amps up on stage. He would plug into oh one, play, and no, it's going to go out at some point. As soon as it would, he would unplug, move the mic over, turn the other amp on, and keep playing and the no, show. And no, it's good for X number of time e left. Yeah. <laughs> and he didn't know, would it be halfway through the show? If it's a really hot <laughs> night, it might be earlier. Because there were a couple of times where he had to switch to one, turn the other amp and off, switch it back and over. then switch oh back over. <laughs> but that's, that's what we had yeah. to do. Right. And again, we're packing places right. at this point. Yeah. It was great, and we we I'm yeah no promo picks no demo. We finally tape. figured out this. Clay had heard about this guy. Um, one of his friends had gone and done a demo at this guy named Eric Delagarde's place. Okay, and Eric, he's got a great studio in Denton now. To this day, he's a great producer engineer guy. But at the time, he was recording people out of his duplex. <laughs> okay, yeah, and so we're like. Hey, man. And so we go in there and we record a bunch. And this was our Leper Messiah cassette. This is okay. when we yeah, were yeah, so yeah. called Leper Messiah. And uh, we did all these songs in kind of an afternoon. Yeah. And so then we had it. Okay, we've got a cassette thing. Oh, and for our promo picture, this is what we did. <laughs> a friend of ours had taken some pictures of us while we were playing. Mm. And he had a few kind of individual shots. And we're like, okay. So I got the individual shots and I laid them on a piece of paper. 
And I had gotten, do you remember those letters you could get like at hobby shops and you could kind of, it was sort of like a stencil, but you sort of scratched it and the letter would come off. Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. So I created a little Leper Messiah logo after hours of trying to get the letters to line up. I right. finally did it. I cut it out and I stuck the pictures kind of overlappingly to where you could see each one of us individually yeah. on this piece of paper and then took it to the copy place and had them make thicker uh, like color copies yeah. because it came out like a photo yeah and they cost five dollars a piece wow. which is crazy expensive yeah but it's still a lot less than three or four hundred dollars it was going to be so yeah. that's what we did and i was giving and I'm like why is this in color <laughs> like i don't know man but it's we didn't it's better than what we had right <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah our first promo pictures were this stuck together thing into this little cassette and we didn't we didn't pay to have little j cards put in there yeah we we just copied it i got some uh paid for some heavier like parchment looking paper sure sure sure. printed it on that because it looked sort of good cut them out (laughs) stuck stuffed them in there it was but again we were just keep we were just moving forward yeah and it's it's really cool how how in the moment everything is and you're just like we're just gonna keep I don't know what the next thing is but we're just gonna when that and just trying to listen to other bands and see what they were doing but the whole time I just kept going where do they get their money because I didn't have any concept of what a Dallas Trust Fund kid was right okay (laughs) yeah 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 then when you're kind of in the Dallas music scene for a while you realize a bunch of these kids are like trust fund kids. And that's what the deal is. That's why they have all this gear. Yeah. And that's why they're taking years off to dedicate to their music. Right. It's like, oh, I get it. Right. This is a very different thing. Right. I didn't, I didn't know this. Right. Nobody tells you about the cheat codes. Of yeah. yeah you're <laughs> like, kind of a thing. where did you record? Oh, we went to so-and-so. We were down in Austin. We worked with And I'm like, who at the studio how, in L.A.? <laughs> how on earth? <laughs> You know, and then you're yeah. like, oh, okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it was very different for us because, again, we were, and I'll never forget the time that we finally had to confess to our parents that we had a band. Right. You know, because like, why aren't y'all coming home for Christmas? They're like, uh, we have a show. <laughs> like, you what? Like, we've got some concerts and one of them is on New Year's Eve and they're like, y'all started a band. They're like, yeah. But they didn't freak on us. They yeah. actually were fairly supportive. And we took my parents' Suburban. Mm-hmm. I, I said, hey, can I take the Suburban for a while because it would be easier for us to travel? And they said, yeah. yeah. And that, that thing burned to the ground on the <laughs> way back from Oklahoma one time. But <laughs> There were four four members in the group. There's always been four members, right? Or were there more than um, four at the time? No. It, we started off as three. Okay. Um so it's you, Toby, it, and then the... And, and, and Michael Eldridge okay. initially. That okay. was Leper Messiah. And then he had to go because he was going to architecture school. Mm. Um, and John joined. Okay. Which is r- really quickly sure. that he joined. And then Clay, um, he had an acoustic guitar with a pickup in it. And right. we thought, oh, that could be kind of a cool sound. Yeah, yeah, the Cure yeah. does that. Mm-hmm. And Love and Rockets do mm-hmm. that. We can do that. Yeah. That, that would be cool. And so he kind of started off where he would play... A couple of songs at the beginning and a couple of songs at the end, and then slowly he just kind of ended up playing the whole thing, and then sure. so it was us, and then Clay left, and we had a couple of other guitar players before Kurt came in, sure. you know, and then as we regrouped, Kirk and Clay both are with us. Gotcha. Which I think to me, this is the ultimate lineup of all yeah. time. It's like yeah. the best of everything. Yeah. But... uh 
Yeah. Awesome. So you've so you've been doing this. You finally told them that, and then uh, at what point are we where y'all not only change your name but also take out a ten thousand dollar loan to finance home? Okay, so we the record home for the yeah, listeners who yeah. may not know. We had okay, so we were Leper Messiah. Um, we had talked to George Gamark at the Edge. Oh yes, and yes. one of the first things he said was because he because we played because um, he had seen us. They did a bring in the weekend party at this venue called Ote's in Denton. And we were playing at Ote's a lot, and he was like, the guy, the owner, uh, Sam, kind of got us on the bill. And so George Gamark saw us. And he said, hey, you know, I, I got to say, y'all are doing some really interesting things up there. Yeah. And I said, cool. He said, but look, you got to lose that name, man. <laughs> Leper Messiah, are you kidding? So I was like, we can't change our name. I thought that was pretty cool. And, and <laughs> Yeah, and I said, you know, because it's like Ziggy Stardust. He said, I know what it's from, dude. <laughs> <laughs> this is before we knew. Well, I, we didn't know Metallica had a song called Leper Messiah either, oh, so that gotcha. didn't help things. Right. But the funny, I just, I remember arg- kind of arguing with him, saying, "But all our fans know us as Leper Messiah." And he said, "How many fans is that, really?" I said, "He said, let's say it's a thousand, okay?" He said. Besides those thousand people that love you, the rest of the world doesn't know you as anything. I think you'll be fine. I was like, dude, we'll have to start all over. He said, just please trust me. Please trust me. I know what I'm doing here. Just trust me. But he actually played us on uh, on the... I forget what the, the their like little local show. He, yeah, yeah, he yeah. played I a Leper Messiah yeah. song on there. And I think it was called the local show or if it's it wasn't it became the local show. Yes, yeah, something or other. The local yeah. edge or whatever. Yeah. Uh but that's but, but he but even kind of he even kind of had to say, "Okay, now I say Leper Messiah and you're probably thinking this, but it's not that. It's think, you know, House Martins and the Smiths and that's yeah. you know, and then he played the song and we're like Maybe we should change the name. So <laughs> we got ready to record again, and we went back to Eric Delagarde, and we recorded what would become the 11th song okay. CD. And we decided, we, we promoted it as not just a record release, but we promoted it as Leper Messiah Dies. Oh, okay. And that's, I like that. I like that. Yeah, and so it, was, it wasn't, there's this new band, it's that this other band is dying, yeah, and, and we that we, all our flyers had that Leper Messiah dies at Rick's place, and this was the date. I like it. That's clever. And so as we're there, we say this is the new name of the band, and here we have a new CD. So it was like all of a sudden, new uh, band name. Here's a CD, you know, which we had recorded in just a yeah. few days or whatever. I love that. And it, from like it, a marketing and, perspective, and yeah. it really worked well because everybody's like, "Dude, Leper Messiah is breaking up. What the heck? This is their last show, right?" And so it was packed, right? So people come in, and, and everybody's like, like, "Oh, cool, new name." And then it was, and you already have a CD, right? And it, you get a CD, and you you it, were Oprah. <laughs> and so it was it was cool. That yeah. was that was one of the few intelligent things we did. Right. <laughs> and 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 George Kamark later was like, "I really thought that was cool." Yeah. And when we got on Tales from the Edge, mm-hmm. he included a picture of that flyer that said Leper Messiah that dies at Rick's That is awesome. Place. And I was like, okay. Do you still it. have one of those flyers? Or a picture of it? Maybe. Okay. I, I was just curious. We have a... Here's the thing. Leper Messiah had amazing flyers. Yeah. Because uh, Michael Eldridge was there that first summer, and yeah. we kind of figured out sort of our 
our aesthetic. Yeah. Which was, again, very Bauhaus, very black and white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had these really obscure pictures and stuff. So our init- our early days flyers were really cool. Yeah. So I'm, I, I got to find it because it was okay. kind of cool looking. And then, you know, when we changed our name to Deep Blue Something, um, and we recorded at Della Guards, and the yep. CD was kind of cool. Yeah. And then we really decided we're going to start playing as much as we can. Okay, so this is like we're all we're all we're, into we're, the Deep Blue something. Yeah, because we had decided because at the time we were all kind of taking summer school classes because it was a way to stay up in Denton without our parents being suspicious. Sure. Right. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. oh, I'm going to go ahead and get some summer hours. Well, well we decided very studious. <laughs> That's a really good job, Todd. Yeah. <laughs> very proud of you. <laughs> Getting ahead. <laughs> you guys are doing so well at school. <laughs> uh, and so we all decided, hey, this summer, we're all going to stay here, yep. but don't sign up for any classes. We're going to play as much as possible. Yeah. Because by this time, we've got a real promo picture, we've got a real CD, and we've got a really good reputation yeah. you know, in the area. Right. And so Paul Nugent, who was our booking agent at the time, he ran... I think it was still called Artist Development Agency. It later became Rainmaker Booking or whatever. I can't remember. But he started doing swaps with bands. So we were big in Denton and Dallas and Fort Worth. And so he would get a band that's big in Austin but hadn't been playing in Dallas. And so we would go down to open for them and they would come up and open for us. So you're helping them in DFW and they're helping you in Austin. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Nugent was brilliant at this because he knew who would work well with who. So Better Than Azra came to open for us in Denton. Okay. We went to open for them in Shreveport or uh, Baton Rouge. Yeah. And so, and that's how we started getting into these other markets. So you go down there, you're autumn, you're, immediately playing in front of a decent amount of people yep. you win their fans over and so you know what i'm saying so yeah, we're really yeah, yeah. starting to establish it and we're playing everywhere uh and we the whole and then fall rolled around and everybody would just by this time our name is fairly well known at least around denton and so the guys would go to their professors on the first couple of days of classes and say look i'm probably not going to be here Every Friday. I'm just, because we have shows and they say, oh, what's your band? Oh, Deep Blue Something. Oh, I've heard of you guys, actually. Mm. If you can just get your work in, make sure you remind me, it'll be fine. We okay. can work around this. Yeah. I under, you're not just skipping. You've got something. Right, yeah. And so, but there were times where people were having to fly back from, like, we would go out, we play these shows and end up playing in Lubbock. And then somebody's got to fly back because they've got to take an exam. Yeah. And then get in a car with somebody and meet us in Tulsa. Yeah. It, it was crazy. Yeah. But we were doing it. Right. Um, and then it was like, okay, well, time's gone by. we got to make another record. Right. Um, and we knew it was going to probably cost a little bit more. So we took a loan out. Right. For $5,000. 5000 Um, Ed from Rick's place co-signed the loan. <laughs> Because uh, he knew, he's like, well, if you can't pay it back, I'll just take it out of your money. Right. You know, he's, he's like, it's fine. It's yeah. no big deal. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, we, for that initial, so we took out the loan for fi- for 5000 It cost us 2500 because we were, of course, watching the clock and panicked and didn't, what we got to do on the first take? Right. So the home record was recorded there at Alley Cat Studios right beside Rick's place. Yeah. And uh, we paid back the loan too fast. It ruined my credit for seven years. Yeah. So pro tip for those listening, don't pay it back too fast. Yes. Make Explain sure it that out. there's language in there that you can pay back earlier. It will right. ruin you. Because I will. thought, hey, we took it out for this much, but we only used this and we so, paid it back. So why is my credit ruined? Yeah, it's, we paid it back within fast. three weeks. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. But then, so we're still kind of figuring out what we're doing. Um, but man, we're packing it. Yeah. But it's still, you, we can't get interest from record companies. Mm. And they're like, and even some of them were like, I get it. I, I see I see what they're doing. It sound, this right. is cool. And you've made home at this point. And we've, you're packing out places. And you're sending home. the record off to places. Yeah, and, and, and we have a real man. Like Paul Nugent had started managing us okay. by that time. And so he's going and, and yeah. having meetings with people. Right. And they're, you know, he's able to show them, look, they've sold this many. And, yeah. you know, they're playing in front of this many people. If they go and play somewhere a couple of times, they pack it out. Like, yeah. you know, this... And they were like, hey, it's just not the right time because this was grunge. grunge yeah, grunge, yeah, grunge. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is like Nirvana era too. Like, uh, Oh, sure. Yeah, like, like when it, when we were, yeah. yeah. Um, like Nirvana grunge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so we were trying to get into regular rotation on the edge because they yeah. were playing some bands. Right. You know, like they had played Pop Poppins. Um, mm-hmm. Tripping Daisy had already broken through at that point. Sure, okay. Um and and they had started playing the Nixons at this time. Okay. And even that didn't seem like it was going to happen. And yeah. We're like, dude, this this might not happen for us. Yeah. And it, it was one of those weird things. We were playing at Trees, and Trees had run an ad on the edge. And in the ad, they played a snippet of Breakfast at Tiffany's. Mm. And so people start calling the edge and requesting it. Because you it's know, a catchy, it ca- it's it catchy. It's just that little bit, yeah. yeah. And, and it, 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 and not to cut you off because I want to go in this, but to what we were saying earlier about how music has a way of making you feel something and catching you and hooking you. Yeah. Just playing like, and and there's even scientific studies where it's like if you play like a clip, like 15 seconds or 30 seconds of a song, depending on what it is and how and where in the song, it it sticks into where like they say earworms and you can't get out of yes. your head and you need to hear it. Yeah. So I think. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, in this especially situation. something that sounds that different yes. at the time. Yes. And so, and and the edge was already kind of leaning, like they were. Oh, we're we're going to try to get it on. We'll see what we can do. Right. Well, they kind of took this as well, let's just go ahead and play yeah, the thing. People want it, so they started uh-huh. playing it. And dude, we started selling records. <laughs> and when they started playing it, then Q102 started playing it. Right. Because Redbeard, be Redbeard was a super cool guy. Yeah. And he he already knew who we were. You know, and he was just—he was also kind of looking for a reason, right, to support it. Yeah. And so the Edge starts playing it. Q One Hundred Two is playing it. We're selling tons of records. Yeah. We had started because of those two stations to get on some other stations, and that's when those same record companies come around again. Yeah. And they're like, "Cool, we want to sign you." Yeah. And so it would have been a lot more cost effective for them to have signed us the year before. Right. But when it's already happening, right. that's when you get in the kind of the little bit of the bidding wars yeah. and that kind of thing. And you're like, dang, right. Yeah. You I guys are supposed to be able to hear stuff yeah. and we had to prove it. Yeah. So, so now you need to bring more to the y- table. You need to bring more mm-hmm. than you have, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it, it finally happened. Yeah. You know, we got our record deal and all that stuff. Yeah. It was it was crazy. The, the yeah. year before, I always tell everybody, it was really the year before we got signed that was the most fun. Yeah. It was freaking crazy. Yeah. It was, everything was on our terms. Everything was decided by everyone yeah. in the van, driving yeah. from one place to another. 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's creatively fulfilling, and people are coming. They want to hear more. You're giving you decide back. decide what got, you want to do, and yeah. you just go do it. And you, you know that it's going to be a fantastic, like a fun experience. And yes. It's just yeah, and, and that that top was of the, the world feeling. That was the best. Is yeah. is is that period really? That's awesome. Well, we'll be right back with more after the encore after this. Welcome back to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I'm here with Todd Pipes. And Todd, you are charting the tops. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but specifically talking about Deep Blue Something, you've broken through. You're on a record, or you're on a label. Yes. And you're breaking through. You're charting the tops, and, and you, you've on, you know, on, what is it? Top of the Pops? Top right? of the Pops, Top of yeah. the Pops, right. And yeah. so you're just, you're making waves everywhere you go. And I want you to talk to me about what the journey and I think that kind of journey has been well documented on a, a couple different outlets uh, and sure, stuff yeah. and but what I want to talk about is what was it like for you when things started to die down and you're getting on the second record because I as I understand there's a little bit of controversy with the second record was it like not released and then it was and talk me through it, that it, it was all of that okay yeah and it is well documented but the, but the biggest part of it was b because that album didn't find success everywhere at the same time. We had to follow it from country mm. to country. And so... Okay. To kind of drum up interest, so to speak. Well, because... When it, no, it, it was just because the label was somewhat fragmented at the time. We okay. were on Interscope here, but Interscope is a part of this conglomerate here. And part oh, okay. Of, and so everything doesn't happen at exactly the same time. There's not a lot of synergy with regards right. to... Right. And, and again, yeah, yeah. Okay. We're, we, we're still met with that idea of, oh, this is great. I just don't know if it's going to work here. Mm. And so, you know, we okay. had to do the same kind of state-by-state state slugging it out. We had to do country-by-country. Country. Right. And so by the time we finally finished and had done those world tours and conquered all of those countries, by the time we came back to the United States, we hadn't had a record out in two and a half years. Yeah. You know, and that's difficult. Yeah. But, and the biggest problem there was at the time that we finally poked through, there were other somewhat similar bands, you know, um, Gin Blossoms were there. Well, and you know what I'm saying? And if, and if maybe you didn't have a direct influence on it, at least people were able to say, hey, this band did it. Yeah, this kind of works and, and this yeah, works yeah, yeah. on this station. And mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, you could see s some sympathetic sounds. Yes. Okay. And even if... You know, a, a station was fairly heavy with grunge. Well, maybe they were playing the Spin Doctors, too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it, things could kind of work. Well, by the time we came back around, we were on third-generation grunge. Mm. We were, at the time, that's when people were playing, when, when the rap metal was starting to come out. Right, right, right. And sure, then, sure, sure. And when, when the alternative station shifted to that... Well, we there was no chance. What were we going to do? Right. Because pop had also changed as well. Yeah. P the pop that had been, 
I don't know, Hootie and the Blowfish and some right. of the other stuff. The kind of the well, staple. that was not there. Right. It, that's when we had transitioned to boy bands and yes. Britney Spears. Yeah, yeah, this is late 90s now. Like yeah. Oh, yeah. Like 97, 98. 90s, yeah, 98. Yeah. And so... So that's the staple of what pop is. You don't fit in there. We didn't fit, it fit in there either. But also alternative, we, it, you don't we fit definitely in there. Don't. And also we had kind of, once you cross the line into big commercial pop success, which yep. Brex Tiffany's did, yep. well, you can't really go back to alternative. No. it's Or it's very difficult. Yeah. Um, and so again, the, the musical climate had changed so much we didn't know what we were going to do either. Right. And then the record companies in turmoil because of all the Napster stuff. Oh yes. Yeah. And yeah. So, this was during Napster. So time, things yeah. were going very strangely. Sure. And every, and, and because people in the industry saw what was happening with Napster two or three years before anybody else did. Yeah. Cause they were already going, Holy crap. Yeah. They're, giving each other songs for free on the internet. Right. This is digital copies. This is not like copying tapes. Right. This is going to sink us all. Yeah. And so all these people are getting fired and laid off and labels are shrinking and collapsing, you know, and we made the Byzantium record knowing that things were weird. Yeah. And so we were allowed to keep the album. We got picked up by a different label, which was part of EMI. And then, they put it out, but then September 11th happened, and it was just, that was about the time that I was going, hey, I th- we had a fantastic run, and we, and Toby and I had already opened up the studio at that time. Oh, right, right. And so I was already looking at that, because as much as I love music and playing live, I have always loved recording things. Yeah. And so as soon as we had made any money, we bought recording gear. Right. And so I was instantly distracted by I could record stuff every day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like this is, I could actually have a normal life right. at home. Like this can be what and I this do. This could be what I money. do. Yeah. And I, I like this. And yeah, wow, this is amazing. It's like all of the wonders of music, but I don't have to tour anymore. Right. Because I had kind of had it. Sure. Now, all of us. And this is multiple you think, years of Yeah, because we had. Prior we, to. And, yes. then, and then you did all that prior. Yeah. That was the main thing is. We had played so many years before we got our record deal. Right. The spring, you know, the eternal yeah. spring break of touring was right. over. Yes. Yeah. That's what we always say. It wasn't <laughs> spring break anymore. It was yeah. a grind right. and we did it and it was hardcore, yeah. but we had had our fill. Right. Um, and so at the time I was like, okay. And we kind of just let the band just kind of die. Yeah. You know, we had kind of, we had our commitments and, you know, I, I told my wife when September 11th happened, yeah, this is probably time. I've got some commitments to about January, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to be done. Yeah. And that's pretty much what we did. The band did not break up. You know, we had them going, what are you doing? You should be making a record. Or, yeah. you know, we're just like, yeah, I think we've we've done our thing. And again, Conscious uncoupling. No. <laughs> to quote Gwyneth <laughs> Paltrow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of close. Yeah. <laughs> and so we just sort of stopped. Yeah. And And the main thing was, too... Since we weren't doing anything, we decided to not renew our management contract. Mm, sure. And we don't have a manager there going, guys, you need to go play some shows. Right. Or guys, why don't you, you know, record Put a song. Out yeah, we didn't have that in our in our corner. And so th- when we didn't renew the management contract, that's when things really... And I told them, I was like, this is not a personal thing. Right. You have done a great job, but there's nothing we're, to manage. We're just kind of And there's done. not going to be anything to right. manage. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Even as that happened, and everybody has these other business interests and stuff, we still occasionally 
you know, get a call. Hey, could y'all do this thing for a charity? Right. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we would play a couple of charity shows or, hey, man, let's get somebody to book some shows up around ski areas and we'll just go from ski. From ski area to ski area, <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll ski during the day and, and play shows at night. Cool. And so we would sneak off. We'd do like a week of that. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so we weren't doing anything, but we sort of were. Right. It's like every year or two years, we would kind of do like, a little something. Kind of like scratch that itch, so to speak. Yeah. yeah and we itch. would laugh and we'd go, yeah, we don't really want to do this <laughs> right. anymore. And then, uh, you know, the time kind of goes by and by and by. And then finally somebody says, hey, why don't we record some stuff? And then it all starts up again. Right. You know, and that's where we found ourselves ourselves um, after we did that, uh, the Locust House EP. Right. That was in 2015, right? That sounds right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that, man, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Because when we were doing it even, I remember, because people were asking, you know, are you going to tour? And I was like, adamant. I don't want to play live. Yeah. I don't see any point in it. But we're making this EP. Yeah. You know, when we started making the EP, I was like, this is awesome. You know, because this was yeah. the first time it had been all five of us together. Right. And I thought, if this lineup hits the road or plays shows, this is going to be amazing. Yeah. And I was like, all of a sudden going, dude, we got to, you know. Yeah. And then we played a couple of shows and I was like, we were all looking at each other like, this is amazing, right? Like, this is the five of us together is very different from any combination of the four of us. Like, this is it. And so then we're going, dang, we got to get a booking agent. Yeah. So we get it, you know. And yeah. so slowly, and we get this weird email of, hey, why don't you guys play in Europe? I'm like, okay. And the next thing you know, there's English, England dates booked. And then there's, you know, the late spring tour of Europe. And we yeah. go do that. And we're like, oh. Let's do this. Yeah. And so everybody's super jazzed and it, it really has been fun. Yeah. Like amazingly fun. And this was, and you're, and when you're talking about the, the Europe tour, you're talking about the tour that just ended, right? Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. we, we like went to England, we went to England in year. March, came back for a little bit and then we went right back in May. Yeah. And yeah, played, uh, Germany, we played Prague for the first time. That's it was, awesome. It was amazing. Yeah. I, I, we had never even been. We always sold lots of records there, but yeah. had never been. Um, what was the reception like when y'all were there? Was it? Oh, it was greatness. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it was still, um, you know, especially as time has gone by, everyone in the world, like you could go track down an Eskimo and say, hey, do you know how Brexit Tiffany's goes? Yeah, I said, what about... Yeah, they, they would know. <laughs> yeah, right. Now, well, who sings that? Well, I don't know. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So the, the, the song has transcended the name of the band. Yeah. And so we still kind of run into that a little yeah. bit. Or you're playing, and people have heard the name, and maybe they come and they're like, oh, this is you? Right. Like, what are you doing here? Right. Like, why are you not playing at the stadium? We're like... Because the same reason that you didn't know it was us. Right. You know, everyone yeah. knows the song or yeah. even the songs. Right. But they, you know, they're they're not putting it together with the name of the band. Right. So it gave us some real fun opportunities to play small places. Yeah. Uh, and it was just incredibly cool. It's, it, an, it's an interesting perspective because it's like you, you are both, like you said, world renowned, like zeitgeist, right? Yes. But then also have this a little bit of anonymity because... 
people yes. can't remember who yeah, sings it. Yeah, because the, it's one of those things that you hear everywhere. But, you know, like, again, I don't know why. You clean it like Target as it, you're walking yeah, around. Like when I'm at the grocery store, it's not like somebody's telling you, the, no. reminding you the name of the band. You're just hearing the song. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's the ubiquity of the song and the am- anonymity of the band, which yeah. in, in some ways is it, is perfect. Sure. It's sort of what we always really wanted. Yeah. We always kind of envisioned ourselves as this slightly goth-leaning pop version of Pink Floyd. <laughs> like everybody knows Pink Floyd, but nobody right. knows what they look like. Right. You know, right. you know at yeah. the time especially, right. they right. would kind of stand beneath the lights and let the lights yep. do all the work and they would sing their songs and, you know, they have the time they would just walk out into the crowd and the people wouldn't even recognize them. Right. And I was like, that's what we need to be. Right. And the label's like, no. <laughs> Putting y'all's pictures out there, <laughs> but but the, again, that yeah. was what we always kind of wanted, which yeah. is sort of funny that it has come back around to that. But, yeah, yeah, we're still, um, you know, we've got a couple of songs that we've recorded. We're gonna okay. kind of just, you got to get out of the old mentality of doing albums. Yeah, and just get into the mindset of do a song, wait a few months, put out, and, and just yeah. kind of slowly just put stuff out. Yeah. So we've got a few things that we've finished. Um, we, we just signed with a new booking agency, Red 11, and they're very excited and we're going to try to play a lot more. Nice. And so, and again, just get in the habit of having fun when we have a, a, a song that we like, we'll record it, put it out, Yeah. you know, and not worry about, oh, we've got to do an album. Right. Cause that whole mentality is gone now. I mean, it is. I mean, um, I'm a big fan of Chance the Rapper and he just now this past Friday, I mean, we're recording this in, you know, July of 2018. So mm-hmm. last week was, you know, I don't know when you're listening to this, but in July of 2019, he finally released his quote unquote first album. He's been doing mixtapes and singles and collaborations yeah. and EVs for years. Yeah. And then he dropped it and it was caught me by surprise because i'm like oh right he didn't actually have a quote-unquote traditional Mm -hmm. album until now yeah and it's it's because it didn't matter it doesn't because if you if whatever you release will be basically forgotten within three weeks yes that sounds right you know i'm saying like even if a song's doing well it it, it may catch on or whatever but otherwise it's just going to be gone right so why would you put a year or two years worth of effort, 12 songs out right. at the same time. Yep. Cause they'll just all be gone. Yep. Um, and, and older bands have got to get out of that mindset. It was like the fatal flaw in the big Van Halen reunion. They should never have dropped all those songs at the same time. Yeah. Someone should have known better. Yep. Hey, you're going out on the road. Just give them a couple, uh, uh, every yeah. other month, give them another, because man, that album is amazing, yeah. except for that stupid tattoo song, <laughs> which I can't stand. But there are some legitimate, Yeah, this is as good as Van Halen ever did on that album, yeah. and no one heard it. Yeah. Yeah. But so we've just got to, got to change and un- change and understand Spotify yeah. and all that stuff, which I did not understand. Right. And my son had to explain all that <laughs> stuff to me. I feel like such an idiot. <laughs> no, it's good. Now, before we totally wrap up, I do want to touch a little bit on your solo EPs that you've done. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, uh, Main Sail to Sky King. Yeah, that's the most recent. That was the most recent one. And then uh, Lotus. No, 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 no. Um, what was the name of the first one that you dropped back in? Taurus Petals was the Taurus first Petals. one. I knew it was like, it was yeah. like it's flower yeah, related. It's, it's Taurus Petals, then Polar Patterns, and then mainsail to sky that's right, king that's right that's right so what uh i guess was and i love mainsail to sky king it's 
fantastic. I oh, have it on repeat. That was supposed to be a Deep Blue Something record. That's right. I, I remember you telling me that like <laughs> off air because you, you had been working on this and you were like, you know, I have enough songs. I could just drop it myself. And Well, it wasn't that. It wasn't the songs. It's that we were having a hard time with communication right at that period. Mm. And I was like, this is, you know, I yeah. got to do something here. Yeah. And so I just... I talked to Toby and Kirk about it and they're like, dude, just put it out. Yeah. Just finish it. And, you know, it's like, because they were both going, I don't know what we're doing. Right. Because we've got to get over this communication right. thing. Right. And you have now. But we have now. Right. But at the but time. Yeah, yeah. At the time it was like, yeah, uh, all of those, or at least some of those were supposed to be part of the, part deep, of a deep blue something deep. record, which just didn't happen. Yeah. But I just like, look, I can't, we can't, you can't sit still. No. I've got to I create. I understand. Yeah. And, 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 and more than, more than that, not just create, but finish. Yes. Lots of people create and create and create, and they just, man, they obsess and freak out. Yeah. I've got to have a deadline and a finish line, and, you know, I can't let stuff just float out there. No. So. I mean, that I, I think a lot of what's exciting about the creative process is the, the, is the creative process, the thinking about the drawing up ideas. But I think for people like yourself and me, and I, I'm putting myself in the same category with you with regards to podcasting or whatever, but it's, it's, it's following through with it and then having it and being able to share it with people yeah. and people participate in it is like the, the zenth degree of, of what you want. Yeah. It's like, it's the, what you want. And what's also great is the journey you take because where you start when you've got the process is not where you end up. Right. I mean, some of it will be there, but you tweak and you arrange and you adjust as you go, but not obsess. You go, this is about as good as I, right. it's going to be. And I, I need to move on to say something else, but I'm going to bring it with me. And that's why. And allows, because somebody's going to enjoy it as is. Yeah. And that's why it helps to have external limitations. Yes. Like, you know, now that we have committed to getting a full-time booking agent that is going to say, you've got shows. Hey, when are we going to get some new material? Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And yeah. give you deadlines. And, you know, you've got to have that. Yeah. Because even if you set deadlines for yourself, where you can always fudge it. Yeah. So you need someone telling you, you know, like George Lucas said, you know, movies never get finished. Yeah. You either run out of time or money or both. Right. But at some point, somebody says, finish this. Yeah. You have got to put, you know. Yep. Um, Absolutely. And, and records are the same way. And I li I would rather work on things quickly. Yep. You know, because if something, because you know, we like, oh, it's just not quite right. What about the snare? And uh, gotta do. Uh, and, I'm, and I always say, look, if it's that close, people probably won't notice anyway. Yep. But if anyone anywhere says, you know what, this would be a number one song. Can you just fix the snare? Well, then you can go back in and fix right. the snare. But <laughs> yes. until that moment, right, right. just put the stinking song yeah, out. Yeah. People obsess <laughs> some. Uh, I gotta get this plug in. And just like. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah. Sing the song. Put the song out. Yeah. Yeah. Just finish the song. Yeah. And and that's that's the hardest thing for 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 people now. Yeah. It used to be when you were, you know, having to go to a studio and watch the clock. Yeah. You know, and, or you've, you know, you got the tape there. You've only got so many tracks. Right. I guess was the yeah, yeah. that was you the best that. limitation. Yeah. 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 Hey, man. We got to start erasing stuff. If you want to keep putting stuff on here, we're gonna have to start erasing right. other tracks. Yeah. Okay, it's finished, and yeah. then you mix it, and you're <laughs> yeah. done. Right? Wait, wait, can we adjust this? No, it's finished. We mixed it. It's on this other tape now. Right. You know, and yeah. it's, now it's just this endless cycle yeah. of adjusting. But. And it, and this is a little dark, but the way I like to think about it when in my creative process too is like. I can obsess about it all day, but at the end of the day, if it's not out and something happens to me, it's not going anywhere. It's 
being forgotten. Yeah. And I would rather have something out there that may be 80% of what I'm capable of, but it's out there for sure. my quote-unquote legacy to live and on. And you never know. Then your, your criteria for perfection or good enough might be far beyond other people's need. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes, like, absolutely. You don't have to keep... Because people do not want that. No. You know, because I have a lot of friends, you know, in the in the recording side of things and we all get really obsessive yeah. and we have to always remind each other, Hey man, you cannot mix a bad song into a good one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There are plenty of songs that have bad mixes that are great songs. Yep. And there are some songs that have bad mixes, but the song is so good that we all try to figure out how did they make it sound that way? Cause right. the song makes it sound good. Yes. You know, Absolutely. And you can't do it. And I would, I would almost argue the other point. You cannot undermix a good song. You can't, mm. you can't mix a bad one into a good one. And I think you really have to go out of your way to mess up a good song. Yep. So, yeah, everyone needs to just get your songs out. Right. You know, let the people decide. Right. That's good. As we're wrapping up, I want to ask you, if there is one kind of piece of life advice that has meant a lot to you that you like to impart on people... Oh my, that's really heavy. Yeah. One piece of advice. It's heavy, Doc. Mm. I mean, part of me wants to come at you from like a Jungian perspective. Sure. And then I always hear Rudolf Steiner in the other side of my brain. <laughs> hmm. I, I would say, okay, I'll split the difference. We'll go with Gurdjieff. Okay. So this is, this is, my sort of interpretation. No, better yet. Here's, here's what it is. <laughs> you can edit all that. No, leave no, all that in. I'm leave, leave it in. Leave my, leave my philosophical you're conclusion allowed to, in. You're allowed to work through that thought. Yes. This is better. I would say this. And this is sort of an adaptation. Of, of This is a line from a song that I misheard. Okay. But I think this works better than what they had. So the line in the song, well, as I interpret it, is... Precedence is given to the dreamers. So, sorry. Prefer preference is given to the dreamers. Precedence is given to the brave. Mm. Okay? And I believe that in every aspect. Yes, we respect the idea, but we get out of the way of the person who's willing to try it first. Yes. Preference is given to the dreamer. Precedence is given to the brave. That's wonderful. Yeah. I love that. Dare to be the individual that no one else is. <laughs> And everything is free yep. all the time. There yeah. you go. Perfect. Well, Todd, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> you could follow Deep Blue no, Something yeah. on Twitter. I think it's like D at DBS official. Do people, is Twitter still happening? Yes. Okay. It's, it like rebounded. Mm. I will say. I, I know this though. <laughs> Maybe not rebounded. But I know that. There's more going on. The Deep Blue Something Instagram account is updated fairly regularly. Yes, that is true. So that's that's a, that's a little bit better. And that's at DBS official, I think. I think it's yeah. I think it's Deep Blue Something official. Okay. It's either DBS official or Deep Blue Something okay. official. I try to do stuff. Yeah. But my family's like, "Hey, you know, you probably shouldn't post stuff." <laughs> my wife says that to me quite often. Yeah, I'm like, "What are you talking about? This is gold, baby." Right. And she's like, mm, "Everybody loves the office, just, right?" Just let just let somebody else do it. And you're like, okay. all right, fine. Like, fine. Yeah. All right. Well, Todd, this has been great. And here to play us out one more time is Todd Pipes.
This podcast is powered by Roberts Media Group, your resource for podcast development. For more programming and advertising opportunities, please visit us at robertsmediagroup.co.